Welcome to Hatchet. I'm Elizabeth Wilcox, and here today we are speaking with Joe Colopy, a former Peace Corps volunteer, an entrepreneur, a startup investor, and most relevant for this podcast, co-founder of Bronto Software, a cloud-based provider of commerce marketing automation solutions. Joe co-founded Bronto in 2002 and sold it to NetSuite in 2015 for $200 million. NetSuite has since been bought by Oracle. So great to have you joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Elizabeth. Oh, we're very privileged. Um, I'd like to start by kind of defining what Bronto software is. Uh, you you co-founded it in 2002, as we mentioned. But um, what exactly... It is or, or was the cloud-based provider of commerce marketing automation solutions. What exactly were you doing? Yeah, sure. Well, there's a lot of buzzwords in there. It started off quite uh, simpler. Uh, really in the, the end of the dot-com bust or somewhere in there, started a very simple email marketing newsletter product. It was just the idea for small businesses to send email newsletters to their customers and then uh, over the many years, it kind of evolved and evolved, and we started focusing our email marketing with uh, retailers, particularly online retailers, and they got more and more sophisticated. So what it evolved into is something we like to refer to as commerce marketing automation. It was a way for retailers and online retailers to manage all their communications with their customers. So if someone purchases something, it would send the receipts if they wanted to share specials, if they wanted to do special promotions, if they wanted to do things like, hey, we noticed you've been looking at umbrellas all day, here's a coupon for 10% off. Um, it facilitated all of those things. And we worked with about 1400 of the top brands in the US and across the world, helping them really drive revenue through this kind of marketing coordination tool. Wow. So. I know to get to that point was probably not as simple as it just sounded. Did did you begin the business with that kind of of uh, objective, or or what service were you providing initially when you just started? Oh, and you thought, oh, I'm gonna. Yeah. I you were working at Red Hat at the time, and you decided you're gonna go do your own business. What did you think at the time that business would be? Yeah, so it was a very different time, and kind of timely now, given that we're going through coronavirus. So back in the summer of 2000, I left my mid-level marketing job at Red Hat to, because I simply didn't want to climb up the corporate ladder. I decided uh, I was time, I learned enough, and it's ready for me to show my entrepreneurial stripes. And then more or less over the next year and a half, I started brainstorming different ideas. I started learning how to code a web application and tried some things, a lot of things that didn't work but eventually settle on a very simple email newsletter product that small businesses could use. So I, it took me a long time. I definitely did not have an idea or a good idea when I left my job and it took me about a year and a half to try different things, to fail at different things, and finally find something that started getting just a little, little bit of traction. What was that little bit of traction? I mean, what, what was your metric for determining when it was working or not working. So the first, the main metric was I created something someone actually found useful. And I had a friend who ran uh, essentially a newspaper and he was like, wow, I actually could use this. And he told his friend about it and they actually found my simple email newsletter product called Ronto Mail at the time, M-A-I-L, 
actually useful. Mm. Everything I'd done before that was, it was an interesting product, but had no real application. It was, people use it because they're nice, but no one found true utility out of it. It was just more of an exercise in creating some of, some interesting products. And I think that's kind of the fundamental aspect of it. You have to create something that people want. And it sounds very basic, but uh, it's actually quite hard <laughs> to yeah. figure out the core of what people really, really want. And so once I had the early friends use it, I was able to turn that into uh, some people they knew that started paying a little bit. And, uh, and then the kind of way we went. I like to, I read once that you made a distinction between the need to have and the nice to have. So this was a need to have you determined. And then once you determined that there was a, a need to have because you effectively got a client, um, then did you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to put together a business plan and. So I think I changed my approach a lot. I graduated from MBA school at UNC late 90 or mid 99. So a couple years earlier and very much in business school, you're taught all the right things. You plan it out, you write your business plan, you create your PowerPoint and a lot, a lot, a lot. Of. But when you're starting a business, you got to throw all that out the window. And I really had to hark back more to when I had a paper out when I was 12 and I was trying to hustle free Dr. Peppers out of the pot machine, you know, down the block. It really is about just trying to take care of a customer and then get another one. It really wasn't very academic at all. It really needed not to be very academic at all. It really just needed to be about the hustle. And so once I changed my mindset to kind of strip away all my educational background and all the things that was kind of taught, and I focused a bit more just on sheer survival, um, things got a lot better. And so I was able to turn one customer into two customers, into three customers, into 10 customers, and then you start having something that you could see a pattern. You just need to get more of them. But it was very difficult before I started getting those first few customers because my head was filled with all the theory when the reality is I need to get off my butt and go out there and sell and take care of customers. And then what about in terms of, of growing as a business? Was it So it was you and then who else initially? And what kind of skill sets did they bring that complemented you? Sure. Well, early on, it was just me. I left my job in summer of 2000 from Red Hat and really just started trying to figure out how to code, how to come up with a basic business idea, and did that for a little over two years. I uh, got to the beginning of 2002. My wife and I, we had a baby on the way in six months, and I hadn't been working, so it was time to get on it. At the same time, started seeing progress with this new idea called Brontomail. And then, and then in a few months later, um, I was starting to get some traction. At the same time, there was a fellow that I had known a little bit uh, because we had gone, to, both worked at Red Hat, and we'd both gone to UNC for business school, and he suddenly was free on the market. I'm like, hey, you're not doing anything. The economy's crap. Why don't you just join and help me out here? And he was like, okay, sure. So we were able to kind of take that, incorporate the business as Brontomail, and start taking our first early customers and turn them into a few more. So we really were extremely lean early on. We didn't have a team. Uh, it started with me and then him, and then we just started executing. Were your skill sets, uh, did you think, well, this guy would be good because he's got these skill sets and I have these, or was it more just a function of 
this person's in a position to try to start something as am I and I and I like him I mean how, how did that work out it was very much the latter it was hey he's a smart guy we haven't killed each other yet let's just see how this goes you know early stage startups they're really messy they're not necessarily very scientific approaches uh, we bootstrapped it entire business even from the get-go we only put in a few thousand dollars each and mm. we only spent it for a computer and some furniture and so most long-lasting businesses actually have very scrappy beginnings and ours was no different we are very very scrappy it wasn't played out on a business plan it was very much hey let's hustle and turn one customer into two and two customers into 10 and then the 20. so at what point did you develop a business plan well, I think business plan takes a lot of different uh, paths. You can look a lot of different ways. We definitely didn't need a business plan to start executing a business. Um, I think, but at the, at the end of the day, we were both, um, you know, we both had a master's in business and we were both pretty smart, capable people. So I think there was a transition to some extent, the first million dollars of revenue is hustle, 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 hustle. But I think the unique thing we were able to do is we were able to kind of slowly transform who we were to become um, good you know, managers and directors and leaders and executives. So the, how we had to play our game up to a million dollars in revenue was very different than we were many years later, more than $40 million in revenue. We were able to transform ourselves. And that is a rare entrepreneurial trait because what it takes to start a business is often usually very, very different than what it takes to scale a business and to exit a business. So you've just spoken to the fact that, that it's hustle, hustle, hustle for the first um, million or, or whatever that figure may be and um, get one client, get another client. And then there's a point at which you start to say, okay, um, let's start to think of some other facets of this business, how we're going to, that's a, actually a different paradigm, if you will. At what point, what do you start introducing at that point? Mm-hmm. Well, I think first off, you know, I think speaking to these entrepreneurs, uh, it's it's great. And I think I can have a lot of credibility with them because I was there. I did code the first product. I did have zero dollars and I, we didn't raise any capital at all. So I know it's extremely difficult. So some ability to identify with their struggles and say, hey, it's really hard, but here's what I did. Um, and it's a tough, tough path, uh, that gets a lot of credibility. At the same time, when they start going, saying, okay, well, you need to start thinking about these things. You need to start thinking about your team. You need to start thinking about, uh, for example, hiring. You know, you don't want to just hire people that look like you. You want to be conscious of your culture. These things early on, when you're just trying to get started and get dollar revenue, are not so relevant. You start approaching a million dollars, and next thing you know, it's going to be $10 million. You really want to make sure you have a good culture and you're putting the seats for that early on. So that is, culture is one thing. I try to bring in ideas of planning, uh, ideas of watching their cash flow. I think a lot of early entrepreneurs are too focused on, they think funding, getting investment is the sign of success. And I really tell them not to focus on that. It's really more about getting customers and being very lean and smart with their pennies. So, and later on, that's you have to change that game. But most entrepreneurs with the early startups, they don't they don't get to keep on playing. Quite honestly, very few of them move on to the next stage. So, um, 
you know, I try to give them advice that will let them do that. And it's, it's hard. And, and what about when you decided and when you, when you sold that, um, when you sold to NetSuite in 2015, what led you to the point of thinking, okay, time to let it go and to move on to something else? Well, I think Chaz and I, Chaz was the co-founder, we had been doing it a long time. You know, I left my job in summer 2000. We, incorpor- we started working together in 2002. So you're talking about at least 13 years. And we really enjoyed building the company. But I felt to go to the next stage of business, for us to go to $40 million revenue to $100, $200 million revenue, we have, we're going to have to raise a lot of capital, go public, and or uh, join up with a larger partner. And so we ultimately decide on the latter, that we are gonna go through a different phase and we needed something bigger than us in order to get there. So that was one decision. Another part is, you know, I have, I have a family of four kids and I had spent a lot of time working on the business, having a hangover my, my head, worrying about it, trying to build it. And I really want to spend more time with my family. I wanted to um, just kind of mix it up a little bit. So I was ready for a change. So I thought the business was ready for a change. Even though we were still doing very, very well, I didn't want to be in a place two years down the road where our growth was going to flatten out and um, and then we wouldn't have the same options. So I thought, you know, it's best to make a change while we're all on the upswing. Do you think the skill sets of, a, of an entrepreneur, a sort of startup entrepreneur versus the skill set of somebody running a $200 million company, are, are they quite different? I think they are different skill sets. Um, I, I think early in my journey, I would have said that. But the reality is, is when I finished up at Bronto, it was a 300-person organization. We had offices in London, Sydney, LA, and New York, including North Carolina, where the majority of people were. We had, we had done a lot of stuff, and we had figured it out. Um, and it was hard, and we had made a lot of mistakes, but then we had made a lot of right choices. So so I actually felt like, no, I, I felt like I could have totally ran a $200 million uh, organization. It would have been hard. I think it's a very different job. But that I had already gone through that transition. You know, I had been very far removed from the day-to-day. I spent most of my time communicating, setting vision, working with different stakeholders. Um, so I had already kind of made that jump, uh, I think. Um, it would have been more of that kind of stuff. I would have, um, you know, I, we never had any outside shareholders. We would have been a publicly traded company. So that would have been a different skill set. I would have had to spend a lot more time working for the board. But that was more similar to what my day-to-day life was anyways uh, than certainly the early stages, which was radically different. Mm. And so, so now, given where you are, what are your aspirations and hopes and dreams professionally um have do you feel like you you've had your big success and and now uh, you're you're content to try to develop or support other people or get involved in other small ventures or or what are you thinking professionally now Professionally, I am most focused on supporting other software engineers, entrepreneurs in the Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina area. That is uh, where I grew Bronto, and it's my form of giving back. It's what I find interesting. I like working with other entrepreneurs. I like helping them. I like teaching them. I started my career as a teacher, and so in a weird way, I get to kind of return to that. 
and help build others up. Because, uh, you know, I've had my big success. I've learned a lot of lessons. I want to make sure they don't go for waste. And if I could pass some small fraction of those to others and help them be and have the next Bronto success, then awesome. That's So you say you, you started your career as a teacher. Were you referring to yep. your time in the Peace Corps? Peace Corps and after that. So after I graduated college in 93, I joined the Peace Corps. And so I was a Peace Corps volunteer for two years in a small island nation called the Seychelles Islands, which is off of East Africa. And I was uh, essentially like a high school teacher. And I taught a number of different things. But one of the main things I taught was computing, which was kind of unusual Peace Corps post, but they don't get a lot of computer scientists that join the Peace Corps. So I guess I was well slated for that. And then I did that for two years and uh, my students were 16, 17, and they were very bright. They were kind of the country's brightest students. It was a small country, but still they're still pretty bright. And then after that, I had a small, a short stint in Guayaquil, Ecuador, as more of a middle school teacher, also teaching computers and accounting. Uh, to middle schoolers, which was controlled chaos, uh, as you can yeah. imagine. Middle schoolers around the world are all kind of similar in their approach, but that was a great experience. And then when I, uh, my wife and I, we first moved to North Carolina, I actually did computer training classes and consulting around the internet, and this was in the mid-90s. So I really had three different teaching experiences. One, very bright, older high school, maybe first-year college-type students, in a different country, then middle school students in a different country, and then uh, adults in the U.S. all around technology. So I had a pretty good idea. I got pretty good at how to communicate ideas uh, among different people, particularly different groups that it was either a different language or in the case of middle schoolers who really, for most part, had little interest in listening to me, <laughs> unless I could make it somewhat entertaining, which is wildly applicable, actually, when you work with adults. <laughs> so that's interesting. So so in terms of looking at the skill set you had as a teacher, you point to communicating ideas and, and being effective at that. Do you think that that played a pivotal role in your success in, in building a company? A absolutely. I think starting a company was much more about being resourceful, being able to come up with a product by myself, willing to make the calls and do whatever it takes. There's just a lot of grit, a lot of persistence, a lot of hustle there. But building a company, I think my teaching experience was were, were instrumental. The ability to communicate clearly, rally other people around a common cause, um, work with lots of different types of people, be clear. And the larger you get, that becomes even more important. It really is, uh, certainly when I finished my time at Bronto and for a number of years before that, it was really about setting vision and communicating. This is where we're going, making sure it's very clear. I think being a teacher develops those skill sets in an awesome way. And I think that's why I'm fairly confident that if Bronto would have gone from $40 million in revenue to $200 million of revenue, I think that skill set's even more important. And I enjoyed it. So I think a, being a great communicator and be able to articulate your ideas very clearly is key for any leader, certainly any leader of a large organization. So interestingly, it sounds as if being a teacher helps cultivate leadership skills is, is what you're saying. I think so. I, I think it definitely can. You become very refined in how to communicate with people. 
uh, lots of different audiences. And I think that is a great skill for being uh, a leader, particularly a technology leader, where often the concepts are kind of complicated or confusing or intimidating to certain people. Great. Well, that sounds like a great place to end our conversation. I so appreciate you joining us today. Uh, very insightful. And um, we thank you and, and stay well, too. Well, thank you very much. And you stay well as well. Please visit the Hatchet Marketplace at hatchet.us to find other e-commerce related businesses of interest. Have a great day. Sell your site on hatchet.us.